Hi everyone and very warm welcome to another episode of Menopause, the good, the bad and the downright sweaty. I'm Diane Danzibrink and as always I'm here with my lovely co-presenter Sophie Claus. Hello lovelies. So here we are again back to talk more things menopause with you and Sophie and I spent a little bit of the weekend together didn't we lovely? We did we were at Daisy Day at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. So do you want to tell people who've never heard of the Daisy Network a little bit about it and what it does? I shall indeed so Daisy Day was a day for anyone um, experiencing POI or wanting to know more about POI and um, POI is premature ovarian insufficiency and that occurs when the ovaries stop working properly before the age of 40. The ovaries stop producing eggs regularly um, and periods become irregular or stop and the hormone production declines, particularly the hormone oestrogen, which is obviously really important for our mm. brain, bone and heart health. Um, early menopause is the term used to refer to menopause occurring between 40 and 45 years. Um, POI is used for any, anyone below the age of 40. Mm. So POI actually affects one in 100 women under the age of 40, one in 1,000 under the age of 30, and one in 10,000 under the age of 20. Um, and early menopause affects 5% of women. Yeah, it's, they're quite shocking figures, really, aren't they? When you know, sort of, when you think one in a hundred under forty, that's that's actually going to be that's quite a lot. a lot of women. It's an awful lot, and especially as prior to kind of, I am diagnosed with POI, but mm-hmm. I still see myself as surgical menopause. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it does encompass that, but I, I personally always feel it's a bit different. Mm. Um, but I'd never heard of POI prior to the last year. Yeah. Um, I was in Chelsea in Westminster Hospital waiting for an appointment and saw a poster and I then looked up the Daisy Network and just kind of thought, actually, I'm not, I'm not alone here and yeah. there's many women in the UK yeah. experiencing similar symptoms. Yeah, and of all different ages too. So we know the youngest person to be diagnosed is 12. Yeah, which um, is just unthinkable yeah. for a 12-year-old. You think yeah. how much you and I have struggled... <laughs> For a 12-year-old to be going through a similar experience yeah. and having to go through biology lessons at school, mm. feeling how they do yeah. about their body and not knowing probably at that age what's really going on. And let's face it, 12 and 13 and onwards can be tricky enough as it is. Puberty it, is with hell that... for exactly. many children and to have exactly. that thrown in on top. Yeah. Um, I just think it, it just must be... It always astounds me how amazing these particularly these very young girls and women are and how strong they are yeah um, absolutely amazing I mean you know kind of at the weekend how many people were there you had more to do with the organization than me yeah we had 113 people wow. come in the end wow and it was truly humbling just to see the variety of people there yeah. and also the amount of partners that came along yeah the that amount was, of men that were there yeah it was fantastic to see partners and also I spoke to several women whose parents had come for support yeah and to, to learn more about yeah. it and what they can do to support it just absolutely incredible so Soph as I say you had more to do with the you know sort of with the organizational yes. side of the day um we had I, lots of speakers yeah I mean I didn't I I couldn't get there until sort of about midday so do you want to tell people what sort of 
what the agenda looked like. Yeah, so um, in the morning we had a comedy sketch from Karen Hobbs, who took us through her experiences um, after having cancer. Um, and then we heard from Nick Panay, which probably many of you have heard from. He's a bit of a guru in the menopause and gynae world. Um, he's a consultant gynaecologist at is it Queen Charlotte's and Chelsea and Chelsea and, West, and, Chelsea yeah. and Westminster. Um, he was just so informative and engaging. And I think many people, I saw so many people taking notes. Yeah. Um, so he's, I, a, he's a bit of a leader in, in yeah in he this really world. is I mean he's you know kind of he's one of the world's leading experts in menopause and particularly um, in things like POI and PMDD um, he's actually a patron of the Daisy Network yes yeah so we, we do often are quite lucky to have Nick come along yeah um, and then we also had yourself speak <laughs> about, uh, firstly about the make menopause campaign yeah make menopause matter campaign sorry yeah, and then some about a little bit about emotional health and what we can do to sort of help ourselves. So, yeah, and then I, well, you had several other speakers in the afternoon, didn't you? We did. We had, we had from Dr. Hannah Short and her personal experience that with was surgical menopause, yeah. which was really insightful. And it, I think it resonated with yeah. a lot of us, uh, particularly with me, because Hannah also had endometriosis and yeah. PMDD. Yeah. Um, I became tearful actually when Hannah was speaking because yeah. I think it just kind of really touched me. Um, we heard from Kelly De Silva about um, being positively childless. She's from the uh, Dovecote, Dovecote. Um, who are on Instagram. They've got a website as mm. well, haven't they? And that was, I thought that was absolutely brilliant where she gave tips for dealing with people who can ask conversations about why you don't have children and how to manage those those questions yeah. um, and kind of what responses you can you can give and also about being um, positively was it positively selfish was the what she, the way she yeah turned it's it. you know learning to say no and not feeling bad about saying no it was really interesting actually sitting listening to her because um, I, I I had never wanted children um, and you know, sort of my partner and myself had had many discussions about that, etc. And that that was our decision. Um, but I find it, I find it quite intrusive when people think that it's okay to question me about why I don't have children. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy now to engage in the conversation. Um, and it generally is a conversation about, you know, sort of it's a very personal decision and, you know, sort of how would it be if I went round asking everybody that had children why they why they decided to have them in the same way. Roles um, reversed. But yeah. I felt, I really felt for her because, you know, she, the way that she put it across was she wasn't sure that she ever wanted children. But once it had been taken out of her hands and she couldn't have them. So it sounded to me, I would have to have the conversation with her as though she hadn't quite, she hadn't got to where, to where I got to. Mm-hmm. Um, she hadn't, she wasn't, you know, sort of a hundred percent. She, she kind of thought she didn't, but she wasn't really sure. But then she had that decision taken away from her. And I really felt for her because I thought, gosh, I know how, you know, kind of, I know how intrusive I find it. Mm-hmm. And, for me, it's, 
it's the intrusion is not about the fact that it affects me because I don't have children because that was my choice. The intrusion for me is that you think it's okay, and it's not that you can question my yeah that you can question my decision. And I thought, goodness, imagine being somebody that either you know sort of had never got round to making the decision, was still in the flux of making that decision, or somebody that desperately did want children Mm. and has had that taken away from them. Imagine then being asked that question because that can just impact somebody for days if they then leave a social event or have had a conversation with a distant relative it, absolutely it can make you feel inadequate like obviously in my case I'm quite lucky because I had the girls at a young age yeah. and then my endometriosis decided yeah. to completely um cause me lots of pain and mm. uh, distressing moments yeah. but since I've met my partner Stephen which mm. was in 2017 mm. um and we've kind of our relationships developed and we've become engaged many people have asked me oh, are you two going to have children? And I'll say, oh, no, we've decided not to. Mm. Um, But I was actually at a a wedding where one of Stephen's family members said across the table to someone I'd never, I hadn't even spoken to, oh, no, I I won't get grandchildren because Stephen met Sophie and she's infertile. (gasps) Firstly, I wasn't. I'm not. Um, You know, I'm in surgical menopause. Oh, my goodness. And it was such a cutting comment that, I just left the table. I just felt completely flawed. I mean, I feel mm. I, I feel quite upset by that on your behalf. So I can't imagine how you felt about that. I struggled. I to, have got no idea. I've not actually seen that person since that right. said it because I okay. actually can't. I'm still so angry. I can't trust myself to be yeah. around them. Yeah. Um, but that's not the first time I've had a comment like that. Mm. And I think, goodness, if that's impacted me so much yeah. and upset me, imagine being somebody who can't have children and has to deal with those sorts of questions because Mm. it's just wrong. It's Mm. no one's business whether you've decided to live a child-free life because it's just not something that's been on your horizon or whether Whether you're involuntarily childless. You should never just ask someone that question. Absolutely. Um, So it's, it's kind of, I suppose, in a way, it's sort of what is it societally that makes us think it's okay. There's an expectation on women to reproduce. And that's exactly it. And it's like, no, you don't have to live life by the book. Mm. Actually respect people that don't. Mm. Um, These expectations and pressures of society just need to kind of do one, really, because it just makes me so angry. And then you also have to think about the partners, don't you? Mm. And as you said, sort of whether it is, whether it's an active choice which is a very personal decision between between two people mm-hmm. or one person, um, whether you're, you know, sort of, if it's something that has been thrust upon you, um, it's still, it's still something, and particularly if it's something you've been, that's been thrust upon you, then you're going to have to work through it. And of course, that doesn't just affect the individual, that affects you know sort of their if they're in a partnership which not everybody is but if they're in a partnership it affects the partner too and it's about that individual to protect themselves and to take care of of you yeah um and if there's certain situations that you know if you go to it will just be a trigger and make you upset Mm. and really make you feel quite down kelly was just saying you know protect yourself and it's okay to say no it's it's okay to say oh, on this occasion, I'm not available, but I'd like to celebrate with you in a different way. Mm. For example, if it was a baby shower. Mm. um, 
and I, I felt like she gave a really, really kind of objective look at it all. It was really, really practical advice, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It really um, it was quite heartwarming to to hear how Kelly had felt, but then to be given so many different ways of dealing with it. And, and she's also saying it's okay. She's kind of she's dealt with it sort of um, very proactively, hasn't she? By sort of throwing herself into helping other people exactly. which is so often the case when you've been affected by something that you actually gain strength from being able to use your experience to help other people Definitely. and I, I really think that would have you know as I say sitting there in a totally different situation I you know kind of I thought gosh you know kind of mm. if, if that question seems invasive for me what, um, it like for what on earth is it like for particularly for younger women you know, mm. sort of women perhaps in their teens or their 20s. Women with POI meeting somebody and having to have those conversations with them from an early age. Um, I recently met, met with Annabelle, who's a volunteer at the Daisy Network. Yes. And we were talking about with POI, when is the right time to tell that to somebody that you meet? And, um, you know, she's dating and recently met somebody and... She said, you know, I told them on our on our first date mm. because you do. It's like with me when I met Stephen, it was mm. my third date with mm. him that I said, you know, are, are children something you want? Because he didn't have any. Yep. Um, and I wanted to get his honest answer before I before I said anything back to him. Yeah. But it's just having those open conversations. Um, but the other speakers on the day, we had Catherine O'Keefe, which uh- <laughs> you and I spent a lot of time with. Catherine She's is a most lovely lady. Irish woman. <laughs> um, her accent just completely does things for me and soothes me so much. Yeah. It's, it's quite hypnotic. Yeah, I love it? the Irish accent. Um, <laughs> and Catherine took us through nourishment and yeah. POI. I learnt so much. Mm. I was making notes, and I, I'm guessing you did too. There was so much information in there. Um, just things about vitamin D that I've always taken a capsule. Yep. No idea that if you had a liquid form, it mm. was much better in your body process. Well absorbed, it, yeah. Um, more easily. And I think Catherine's going to see if she can do the Make Menopause Matter campaign. Yeah, we're going to try and introduce the campaign into Ireland. Obviously, it will be... So basically, Catherine and I were chatting over coffee and cake. And it turns out that essentially they have... They've, she said, we've got the same issues you have, um, but, you know, sort of times them by 10 as far as education, the ability to actually get the right sort of treatment, um, generally sort of talking about it in Ireland. She said it's still very, very taboo, whereas, you know, kind of I'm I'm definitely seeing there is, there's more conversation here, definitely. Yeah. Um, but the aspiration is very similar to those that we have for the Make Menopause Matter campaign. So it seems very sensible that we just use the same model, um, link up, and they just change the names of, you know, the people in places of power that can do these things. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely going to do that with, with the guys in Ireland. Um, and then we were talking also about linking up sort of in other countries for a Make Menopause Matter campaign. So it's basically to make it something that was a sort of worldwide campaign rather than just a just a national campaign. It's exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. So who else did we hear from on the day? Um, we heard from... I think, was there somebody else in the morning? Somebody that I missed who said it was really moving? Tap. 
Oh, towel. Yes, lovely towel. Sorry, guys. I am very sleep deprived today. Diane um, <laughs> and I had a very funny moment before recording, so I'm just full of brain fogs. So ignore me. And um, we had Tao, a lovely lady um, who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for the Daisy Network. Oh, wow. Um, she's done many challenges. Right. She's, she's a machine. Right. Um, and Tao came along to share our, share her journey with us. Um, and with her, she also bought some amazing pebbles that Diane and oh, I both have. Oh, she did them. No, oh. it, was, it was her really good friend, Laura, okay. that made them. Um, but there were these oh, pebbles beautiful. with really inspirational messages on. We'll take a picture and put them on. Yeah. Um, and that was just a lovely Yeah, they were gorgeous. The really nice hear, keepsakes, weren't they? Yeah, that somebody who's kind of faced, you know, a diagnosis of POI and really struggled and how they've gone on to climb... Mount Kilimanjaro mm. I mean I'm pretty sure I would roll straight back down it if I had to go <laughs> <laughs> no it was amazing and um, we also heard from Kathy um, Griffiths who spoke to us um, it's Mind the Gap and took us through um, ongoing POI research um, and recruited some people to take part in an on- ongoing okay. research program um, and we heard from Bianca as well who took us through the ongoing kind of research and coming up with different treatments yeah um, and potentially kind of finding ways in the future to help diagnose POI quicker, right, right. which would then enable them to act sooner. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just a really humbling day, quite an emotional day, I think. I saw a lot of, a lot of tears. Yeah. Um, and we think that, the, I mean, the network has grown hugely in the last year, and we think it's going to grow even more oh definitely I think the more word gets out there definitely Mm. and then we um we had I had the delight of finishing off the day by talking to this wonderful room of people about sex (laughs) so that was (laughs) that was fun um we um we talked about some of the you know sort of some of the very serious sides of it um you know sort of whether it's the physical symptoms the psychological symptoms, the emotional symptoms. We talked about relationships. It was great to have partners in the room too. Um, And then my fabulous friend, Sam Evans, who runs a company called Joe Divine, um, which is a sex toy company. Um, Sam is a sexual health expert. Um, Unfortunately, she couldn't be there. She was off at another conference. So Sam sent me a whole box full of goodies that I could share and show to the audience, which was really useful because... You know, one of the things that she sent me was a... We'll try and put some pictures up, actually. Mm. Was a box of dilators. So for a lot of women, certainly a lot of women in natural menopause, as that menopause goes on, vaginal symptoms is really one of the things they struggle with. And it's really not something that women who are younger, who go into POI, are sort of ever really counselled about. But of course, if you're having that rapid loss of estrogen, it absolutely makes sense that for an area so reliant on estrogen, the pelvic area, um, that, you know, sort of urinary symptoms or vaginal dryness, soreness, irritation um, can be, you know, sort of can be one of the symptoms. And of course, if you're sore, dry and you know, kind of uncomfortable, probably the last thing you're going to want to do 
is have anything to do with any sexual activity. So we talked a lot about the sort of the lubricants and the moisturizers that you can use, but also there are some really very sort of user-friendly dilators um, and slim vibrators that can be used. Um, and unfortunately, the sort of the dilators that are usually available on the NHS are actually not very nice. They're, you know, kind of they're hard plastic, not particularly user friendly, but there are now these really nice um, silicone ones. They're soft, they're gentle, they come in lots of different sizes. Um, so very much something that can be used to not just to sort of to help you, but also once you're you know, sort of once you've got perhaps your vaginal estrogen, um, which can really help to re-estrogenize the area, um, it's really important that we look after the health of that vaginal area because obviously for women um, who sit, still need to go for cervical smears, um, you know, really key, we want those women to be comfortable when they go mm. for those cervical smears, whether they're, you know, whether they have a partner, whether they're involved in, you know, kind of whether they're using sex toys solo. Um, but it's really important for their, you know, kind of for their ongoing health and well-being. Um, so we managed to raise a few laughs. Definitely. <laughs> it was really good. Um, and lots of people came and took samples of things which was great um we had lots of questions privately at the end which was good but again i think it's one of those things that the more we talk about it the more we well, the more we normalize it do you, would you agree or fully agree and it was a really engaging chat i think sometimes <laughs> people can find these things quite awkward but everyone was completely entranced and it was it's just good to get the conversation out there about sex yeah definitely um all too often people feel embarrassed to talk about it but everyone's everyone's trying to do it yeah exactly <laughs> and, and you want to enjoy it so yeah, it's, and, and there's nothing wrong with talking about it openly. and i think you're really right so if you know kind of a lot of people do want to do it, but it's amazing how many people find they can't. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it's so uncomfortable. Or mm. because, you know, kind of they're having terrible hot flushes or night mm. sweats or their skin's crawly and itchy. And the last thing you want is to have a partner, you know, Touching kind of you. anywhere near you. you. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, then you get into this situation of you know, sort of feeling a bit, you both feel a bit isolated because as I said right at the beginning of the talk the other day, you know, generally, I'm not saying for everybody, but generally sex is something we do. It's not something we talk about. Exactly. And by talking about it and having those conversations with your partner or, or with friends as well, yeah. it means that if you do find things slightly uncomfortable, you can talk about ways to manage it, reassure your partner that you're not you're not rejecting him when he's trying to kind of put moves on you and you're just not feeling it yeah just say you know actually today I'm feeling really uncomfortable can we try something else or let's let me just get naked with you and have skin-to-skin contact yeah having those conversations just kind of takes away from any pressures that can build in a relationship if you're 
if, if you feel like, oh, if I don't have sex with my partner, he's going to think I don't love him. If you talk about it, yeah. if you mention, you know, darling, on occasion I can feel really uncomfortable or I'm just too bloody hot mm. to have you near me, then they've got that awareness there yeah. and they won't take it personally. As a rejection. Whereas if, yeah, whereas if you don't say anything at all, mm. they could perceive it as a rejection. Yeah. And, and that's, that's obviously what nobody wants. Yeah, and I think the that. other thing is, you know, kind of stereotypically... When we say the word sex, that means penetrative sex. It means intercourse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, certainly, it's certainly not that for everybody, mm. um, because you know, sort of, that might not be what that might not be your thing. But I think that's still what we think about, and it's sort of there's so much else. Um, in fact, you know, kind of, we'll do one of these with Sam, and she'll talk about you oh, know, definitely. sort of, all the other. Um, I'm sure that everybody can use their imagination, but I think sometimes, you know, sort of, we don't, we don't, yeah, and we don't kind of think outside the box. Yeah, (laughs) and I think Sam could help take us through (laughs) different ways of having your closeness without having to have. Absolutely. The other thing that I've found is talking to um, talking to a lot of women is that they've said that they feel embarrassed talking to their doctors about their vaginal symptoms and actually quite often their doctors seem to be quite embarrassed talking to them Mm. about anything to do with vaginal health or with sex and I kind it kind of makes sense in a way because nobody teaches them to talk about sex no, that's a good point. You know, I was at you kind of think in twenty nineteen Oh I know lovely with all the like press on it and the growth in I completely agree with you I completely agree with you I do get that actually because I I once had a conversation with a a really lovely GP he's so lovely and kind but you could tell me talking about my vagina was not what he wanted to hear on Mm -hmm. that Tuesday afternoon yeah um and it just made me then feel a bit awkward talking about it, thinking, well, perhaps I shouldn't have. Been and that's quite the place so. where you really should be able to yeah. talk about it, isn't it? And you know, especially for people that are experiencing these symptoms at a young age, you want to make it an easy conversation that they can just have, and a subject that they can just talk about with their friends or with their partner, and definitely, yeah. definitely with their GP. So, and I think again, you know, kind of, I know that we talk about this a lot. But I think it goes back to education. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about... And as, as you and I, as we've said before, you know, it's not the fault of the individual doctor that they don't have the knowledge. It's because they're not taught. Exactly. You know, kind of in their basic training, they're not taught, which kind of leads us on to what we originally planned to do today, (laughs) which was giving you sort of, um, they're not really tips, but telling you 10 things that your GP really should know about menopause. Um, So the first thing your GP should know is that the NICE guidelines on menopause were published for healthcare professionals in November 2015. Ideally, your GP should not just know about them, but they should have read them and they really should be applying the recommendations in the guidelines to their practice. Um, A lot of women tell me that GPs haven't read them and that's generally because they're just too busy. But it's not, it's, you know, it's not an onerous task to read them, probably takes about 45 minutes 
Um, and I would say, as a woman, do have a read of them and then highlight them and take them back and say to your GP, would you mind having a look? Um, number two is that the average age of menopause, so that's 12 months and one day without a period, is 51. But for the majority of women, symptoms of perimenopause start in their early 40s. Um, doing a blood test for a woman over the age of 45 is not appropriate and menopause shouldn't be being diagnosed on the result of a blood test over 45. It should be diagnosed on symptoms. Um, and periods don't have to have changed to indicate perimenopause. And women certainly don't need to have stopped having periods to enable them to have HRT. In fact, if you're having troublesome symptoms, then actually that's the time for you to be going to talk to your GP about HRT or any other way you want to, you know, kind of you want to look at managing your symptoms. Um, number three is what Sophie was talking about earlier, premature menopause. Um, so we know that it's an issue that affects women from the age, uh, currently, from the age of 12 up to the age of 40. Um, and it is key that women in premature menopause are counselled about how vital it is for them to have hormone replacement therapy wherever it's appropriate and that's to protect their long-term bone, heart and brain health as well as to reduce their symptoms. Um, number four is that surgical menopause affects women who've had their ovaries removed. Um, sometimes it's the womb too but if you've had both your ovaries removed you're in surgical menopause and again where appropriate those women must have hormone replacement therapy to protect their long-term health. Um, the common physical symptoms include not just hot flushes and night sweats, palpitations, feeling tired or lacking in energy, feeling dizzy or faint, increased headaches, joint pain, itchy skin, hair loss, vaginal dryness, increased UTIs and sometimes a loss of libido. Some women will experience mental and emotional symptoms and very often they're actually before the physical symptoms come along um, and they can include anxiety, panic, low mood, difficulty concentrating, a loss of confidence. Number seven is that first line treatment for menopause is HRT, not antidepressants. Um, far too many women are being diagnosed as stressed or depressed and prescribed antidepressants when they are in fact in perimenopause. Um, women who choose not to have HRT or it's recommended for some reason that they shouldn't should be counselled on all the other alternative treatment choices. Number eight, um, body identical hormone therapy is available via the NHS. Um, I regularly speak to women who tell me that their doctors told me it's not. Um, the oestrogen is called estradiol. Um, that's body identical oestrogen. Um, and the majority of GPs, there are a couple of places where it's tricky to get hold of, but the majority of GPs can also prescribe something called micronized body identical progesterone. Um, and there's no time limit on how long an individual woman can use HRT. She should have an annual review 
um, of whatever it is she's using, but there's really no time limit. Um, women who still have their womb absolutely must have progesterone alongside their estrogen, um, and that's to protect the endometrial lining. That's the lining of the womb. Um, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, I've counseled far too many women who have been prescribed estrogen only. Um, that's incorrect if you've still got your womb and over a, a period of time, that's potentially dangerous. Um, and lastly, number 10, um, women who are in a medical menopause due to a cancer diagnosis or anyone who presents with a complex medical history should be referred to an NHS menopause specialist clinic for their consultation, but also for their treatment options. And if you look at the British Menopause Society website, you'll see on there, there's a link where you can put your postcode in and find your nearest NHS menopause clinic. So you can take that info along to your doctor. So do you want to perhaps tell people some of our, our top five tips for preparing for your appointment? Definitely. So to prepare for your appointment, um, do your research, take a look at the NICE guidelines, um, highlight certain areas that really stick out to you. Um, knowledge is power. And I'm sure the doctor that you pass the NICE guidelines to will be quite appreciative of having a copy. Um, make a list of all your symptoms and anything you have used to try and alleviate them. Um, do you need to make a diary, take a diary along to show how it, long your sy- symptoms have been going on for? It can be useful. Yeah, yeah so if, if they've been going on for a while, it might be you know a good point to take those along with you. Um, take a trusted friend or family member with you. Talking about menopause, especially for the first time, can be really emotional and you can often just kind of become overcome with it yeah. in an appointment. So to have a sec- second pair of ears there is just really helpful. They yeah. can also kind of help put your point across if you do if you do get upset um make a list of your questions it's easy to forget once you sit down with the doctor you don't want to walk out and be like oh i wish i asked this Um, and then be prepared to wait for answers if your doctor is unsure ask him or her to consult a colleague or read the nice guidelines before coming back to you um, I actually think it's quite a good thing when a doctor says, I, I don't know enough about this. Absolutely. And that they want to go away and find out more. Yeah. So at least they're being honest and we have to kind of respect that. Absolutely. And, you know, we really hope that you're not going to need any of those tips that we've just given you. We really hope that you're going to get down to, to sit down with maybe a doctor or it might be the practice nurse um, who has a particular interest in women's health and in menopause. Um, So we really hope that you're not going to need those tips. But if you do, then we hope they're going to be useful for you and help you when you do decide that it's time for you to go and chat about whatever it is that's going on for you. And where can our listeners find the information? Because I know you've got it on your website, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Okay, so um, there's a... There's a part of the website which is called Guides. The website is menopausesupport.co.uk um, and in there is 10 things your doctor should know about menopause. You can download it for free and print it off and take it along with you. And there's also a symptom checker on there 
um, that you can print off because that can be quite useful as well mm-hmm. um, so that you can remember what all your symptoms are. So yeah, menopausesupport.co.uk and while you're there, if you haven't already done it, we'd love you very much if you would just click on the link to the campaign and sign the petition. That'd be brilliant. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and if you've got any suggestions for our next podcasts, you can email us on hellomenopausepodcast at hotmail.com. Um, and in the meantime, we hope you have a really great week. And, and we'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye. Bye.